the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway. It's a Monday, the 12th morning, 12th month, year of our Lord, 2022, winding down uh, uh, a very tumultuous year and a very confusing year for a lot of us. And uh, watching very closely as a lame duck Congress continues to try to push through radicalism before the end of the year. We're going to talk a little bit about that coming up with Congressman Jim Jordan in a half an hour at 935. We'll talk to him as we do each and every Monday, and we have done throughout this calendar year. I'm looking forward to that conversation. We've got a lot to get into uh, with Jim Jordan today, as a matter of fact. Not only what the lame duck uh, Congress is doing right now, but also what the promises for the new Republican-controlled House of Representatives and committees like his very important uh, House Judiciary Committee. So we're going to talk to him about the Twitter files, proof of conservative shadow banning and suspensions, and a specific attempt to silence the sitting president of the United States at the time, Donald Trump, the FBI's role in the social media censorship, of Twitter. Hunter Biden investigation is coming in the new Congress. I'm sure Congressman Jordan is excited about that because um, if the Hunter Biden investigation had been done on time back in uh, 2020, 
when the whole thing came out, uh, the course of history could have been changed. Of course, history would have been changed. And by the way, now that they know that the investigations of Hunter Biden are coming by the new Congress that is controlled by the Republicans, the White House is rattling its saber, threatening lawsuits. Hunter Biden is going on the offense, they're saying, because they have to try to intimidate witnesses who are going to testify about everything having to do with Hunter Biden, his illegal activities, and the relationship with his father, then the vice president, now the president of the United States, with that illegality, how much did Joe Biden and the Biden crime syndicate uh, profit from Hunter Biden's overseas dealings? So all of that is coming, and we'll talk to Jim Jordan about that and so much more. Then at 1010 this morning, we're going to talk to Ohio State Senator Andy Brenner. Andy Brenner is going to join us to talk a little bit about um, House or Senate Bill rather 178, which is going to hold some hearings today. And then they're going to have a vote on this thing tomorrow. What is Senate Bill 178? That's the bill that will essentially destroy the Ohio Board of Education's power to establish curriculum to decide on matters of how public school districts are going to be run in the state of Ohio. For some, myself included, that is, that is reason for applause. The Ohio Board of Education is a train wreck. It's a train wreck. It has a majority of liberals, despite the fact that the appointments, because remember, part of the uh, the, the uh, Board of Education is elected, part of it is appointed by the governor. Well, our governor is, is, a, is a useless idiot. Our governor, Mike DeWine, is an absolute waste of time. Mike DeWine made his appointments and appointed a bunch of liberals, for the most part, to the Board of Education. And now we can't seem to stop radical things like Title IX reform from coming through and destroying opportunities for girls in Ohio schools, putting girls particularly in danger as they open up bathrooms and locker rooms and shower rooms to biological males and so much more. It's a big deal. And he keeps appointing uh, liberals to uh, to the Board of Education. So the thought here, among some in the Senate, Republicans in the Senate anyway, and in the House, is let's take the power away from the Board of Education and we'll form a cabinet-level committee, if you will, uh, that that uh, uh, answers only to the governor, that is appointed by the governor and answers only to the governor, and they'll be the ones who decide what is going on in Ohio schools. And at first blush, like I said, a lot of people, myself included, say, yay, let's do it. But then I pause and I say, wait, Mike DeWine will be picking the cabinet members. He'll be picking the committee members, rather. Mike DeWine will have a cabinet-level director of this thing, and then he'll appoint the, the, um, the, the, the members. Well, if he can't be trusted to choose the right board members of the Board of Education, how do we know he's going to choose the right people uh, uh, to establish all policy in this, in this new due uh, uh, committee that he would be forming? So it's a, it's a big issue. If you have a bad governor, you're screwed either way. If you got a bad governor who's going to point left-wing woke um, members to the Board of Education or to this, govern, uh, this governor's board, well, then you're screwed either way. And God forbid what happens when a Democrat wins the uh, uh, governor's mansion again. Lord only knows what kind of appointments they would make to this uh, governor's only board. So it's a conglomeration, if you will. It's a... It's kind of hard to put into words, but essentially it really does. It um, 
it, it is a it, it almost creates a monopoly on educational power and puts it in the hands of the governor, where the people won't have any say whatsoever. Now I've got conservatives on both sides talking to me about this and telling me why they agree with it and why they disagree with it, why they want 178 to pass, why they don't want 178 to pass. And I'll be honest with you, my, my, I'm, I'm getting splinters in my rear end because I'm straddling a fence. Because there are good reasons to want to take the power away from a corrupt, in my estimation, left-wing woke board of education at the state level. But there are a lot of reasons to oppose this governor's created uh, uh, commission. It renames the Department of Education as the Department of Education and Workforce. That's where Dew comes in, I mentioned a moment ago. Creates a position of Director of Education and Workforce, appointed by the governor, with the advice and consent of the Senate, so it has to be confirmed, and is the head of DEW Due, establishes within Due the Division of Primary and Second Education and the Division of Career Technical Education, each of which would be headed by a deputy director, Transfers most of the powers and duties of the state board, which is the key here, and the superintendent of public instru- uh, instruction to the DEW, and it retains the uh, state board's and state superintendent's powers and duties regarding educator licensure, lic- uh, licensee disciplinary actions, school district territory transfers. In other words, the boring stuff. The, the board would basically not have any power to, to uh, uh, establish any curricula or any policies uh, in the schools. So it's a big deal. And I don't know where it's going. They're going to vote on it tomorrow, though. I do know that. And Andy Brenner has some thoughts on it. Senator Andy Brenner is going to join me at 1010 this morning. We're going to talk about it. All right, before we get into the other top news of the day, it's 917. I'm going to ask you to rise, Patriots. Stand where you are. Put your uh, hand over your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you're driving, you can skip the standing part. But put your hand over your heart. If you are a left-wing lunatic and you support the Brandon administration, if you are a left-wing lunatic and you support the censorship of the American people by way of the federal government, Department of Justice, FBI, collaborating with executives like Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg? Well, then you have no idea what freedom is anyway. You don't recognize what that flag stands for. You are exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, you may take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And yes, that is going to be the lead story of the morning for us. And that is the Twitter files. The release of the Twitter files uh, continued. Now, there have been four days of four drops of new information uh, in Elon Musk's commitment and he is delivering on his promise, his commitment to full transparency. Whereas the left wing nut jobs who ran Twitter under Jack Dorsey and a whole bunch of other Silicon Valley uh, skinny jean wearing man buns, these individuals operated under a cloak of secrecy. They believed in opaqueness rather than transparency, and they operated that way. And anybody who dared question their wisdom or the wisdom of those whom they supported, primarily far-left, progressive, Marxist uh, uh, elected officials and others in appointed positions, anybody who dared question their leadership, their knowledge, 
the climate scientists, and I use that word in quotes, scientists, the COVID scientists, in air quotes as well, anybody who questioned the Biden administration, the Garland uh, Department of Justice, and on down the line, silenced. Accounts either fully suspended and banned or shadow banned. Jack Dorsey was called before Congress to ask quest- answer questions about shadow banning. He insisted it never happened. Nope, nope, nope. Except now the Twitter files are being released, and we're finding out they had a policy of shadow banning. They just didn't call it shadow banning. They used a bunch of other euphemisms for it. Limited reach and other things, which means shadow banning means without telling people that their tweets were going to be limited in their reach, They just did it kind of on the down low, hence the term shadow ban. We're not banning your account, but we're making sure nobody can read you. Now, the unfortunate part is, we're not idiots, for them, we're not idiots, and we knew when it was happening. People with massive accounts, you know, with 500,000 followers, were getting, you know, 150 responses to tweets that used to get tens of thousands. People with more modest followings, like me, I had around 40,000 followers at the time that I uh, um, uh, quit my own account. I, I, I literally closed it. I, I used to get 150 responses, and now I was getting 10. I knew what was going on and when it was going on. Because whenever I posted something they didn't like, they have algorithms that flag certain words and certain things that make them say, we got to shut this down, we got to shut that down. Holy gosh, this guy just quoted Jay Batacaria. Gone. Shadow ban. Oh, limited reach. Oh, my gosh, this guy just quoted Dr. Robert Malone. Oh, my goodness gracious. This guy just declared that there is science that says global warming isn't man-made. Gone. Done. And they were doing so much of this at the behest of, or at the very least, if not the behest of, in collaboration slash collusion with the federal government. Yes, even while President Trump was president. Now, it doesn't mean that President Trump was ordering it, but the rogue actors in the DOJ, for example, like the FBI, they were the ones who were coming to the tech giants. They were coming to the man buns and the skinny jeans and the gauges and telling them what to do or strongly suggesting this is what they do. And it didn't take much arm twisting because everybody in the man bun world is was in complete agreement. And now that the Twitter files are being released, we're finding out the truth. We're finding out the truth about what they did to uh, silence, censor, shadow ban, etc. conservatives. We're also finding out the truth a little bit more about who they are and about what they are and about why they were that way. What I'm talking about is one of the biggest problems that Twitter has had over the last several years is their extraordinary... Um, commitment to allowing child sexuality to be exploited on their platform, if not outright child pornography. And there might be a, a pretty good reason why we know now that they were doing so, despite complaints from conservatives almost exclusively. Now we know, because the guy who was the head of Twitter Trust and Safety somebody by the name of Yoel Roth, who quit in early November after Elon Musk took over and was complicit in the censorship of conservatives, as I've discussed, apparently had a thing for the idea of children and underage teenagers having sex, and in particular, maybe having sex with adults. Yoel Roth 
is now being exposed with a whole bunch of the internal memos and mailings and statements and so on and so forth by this guy, blended with his public tweets such as, can high school students ever have mean, mean, ever meaningfully consent to sex with their teachers? That was a public tweet. You add that to what we are now seeing from the private, the newly released Twitter files from Elon Musk, now we know why child abuse and child sexual exploitation on Twitter was not taken seriously. This guy was in charge. The Postmillennial reported about Twitter's child pornography problem in 2020 and how prolific sharing of sexual images of minors had become on Twitter. When Elon Musk bought Twitter, he said it was priority number one to eliminate child porn on the platform, and he worked to erase the hashtag hashtags that users were exploiting to help spread the images. Shortly after that happened, Yoel Roth quit. On November 20th, he published an op-ed in the New York Times claiming he fought dangerous misinformation while at Twitter and said, yes, banning President Donald Trump was part of his efforts. He also said that Elon Musk's goal of unfettered speech was not the not right for the platform. He condemned and criticized Elon Musk's embracing of the First Amendment while defending his own, what should we call them, demented, disgusting, indefensible, horrific, child-abusive uh, beliefs on what should be allowed on the platform. Users called him out for how he allowed child pornography to flourish. Why was child pornography permitted on Twitter for years under your watch, but stamped out within 48 hours after you left? Read some of the questions. And now Yoel Roth is being dragged for all of his disgusting, degenerate, uh, abusive, perverted viewpoints and decisions that he made as he ran Twitter's trust and safety division. Now he's being dragged and his defenders and supporters are angry about it. Now they're on the platform saying, hey, Elon, call off the dogs. You're really making Yoel Roth's life hard now. He's gone. Let's end this. So, so because somebody who promotes or at least allows, with his knowledge, child pornography to be pervasive on a platform, once he quits, now it's over? There's no accountability? That's like saying to somebody that actually traffics in the production of child pornography. Well, once he quits the child porn production company, well, leave him alone. I mean, the guy's, the guy's not doing it anymore. Holy goodness. If I haven't said it enough in recent days, let me say it now. The American left is not just vile. Rearrange the, the letters in the word vile. And tell me which other word you think comes up with you, you can come up with that you think describes the American left, because they are both of those things. It's nine twenty six. Always right. Radio back on always on AM fourteen twenty. The ends. All right, coming up on the bottom of the hour news here, we're going to get into a host of different issues about the Twitter files and about uh, what they mean. And what changes now under Elon Musk? And what kinds of damage was done to conservatives and conservative messaging even before elections by Twitter's, well, let's just call it what it is, election interference. We're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that and so much more coming up right here on Always Right Radio.
Who's Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Already 936. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Let's welcome Congressman Jim Jordan to our program for the first time this week and one of the last times in the calendar year. Congressman Jordan, soon to be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, still for now the ranking member of that committee in this lame duck Congress. And uh, we're going to talk about what's going to get done here in this period of time. Uh, Congressman Jordan, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. So you have a sports background. Uh, I've got a bit of a sports background. Let's talk sports for a minute here. If you were a general manager, how would you rate the boot for Griner trade? Well, no, I got real concerned about this, particularly when we left Mr. Whalen over there. Um, He's been over there, what, what, four years, uh, Marine. Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, we want to get every American home. God bless that that, that she's back on American soil. But, um, you know, this guy's a bad guy. This, I mean, a really bad guy, this, this Russian. Uh, and, and, of course, there's the fact that uh, Paul Whelan is, is, is still there now. What, four years he's been in, uh, in prison in uh, Russia. Yeah, and, you know, I, one of your colleagues really kind of raised some eyebrows over the weekend. Uh, Sheila Jackson Lee down there from uh, Houston area yeah, said that yeah. Paul Whelan, who was serving a minimum of 25 years, may have been my, many, many more for literally found, uh, being found guilty of conspiracy to kill American citizens and for providing aid to terrorists. She declared, well... Paul himself hasn't actually killed Americans. Um, maybe the guns that he provided have killed Americans, but it's not the same thing. So she defended the trade on those grounds. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, she's talking about this, this boot guy, right? This Max yeah, Luka. talking about the merchant of death, right? Yeah, like, whoa. I mean, I don't know how to respond to that. Like, what? What are you talking about? This guy, everyone knows this. What's his name? The Merchant of Death? Nicknamed the Merchant? I mean, this guy is like as bad as they get. So uh, I don't The head know of the DEA back in someone... 2010. Yeah, the head of the DEA back in 2010 called him literally one of the most dangerous <laughs> men on the planet. Because yes. he, well, he was able to provide the military weaponry for opposite sides of the same conflict. He'd get rich off of everybody, providing arms to everybody. And again, like I said, convicted of cons- the in the Manhattan Federal Court of conspiring to kill American citizens. And she said, well, <laughs> his guns may have done it, but he didn't do it. Hence the name Merchant of Death, right? I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta be. I don't. Sometimes you just don't understand what the things that the, that the other side says. I, I no. just, I, I don't, I don't get it. Even it wasn't even like it was mainstream press, if I remember right, who did a big story. Maybe it was like, I don't know if it's sixty minutes or. I, I thought it was mainstream press who did this big uh, sort of expose on this on this uh, Merchant of Death, and it's like. Everyone understands how bad this guy is. So I do not understand that the comment made from my colleague there. No, no, it's 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 bizarre. Uh, the number of people who are minimizing this. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton, by the way, wrote an op-ed, or no, he didn't write an op-ed. Take that, take that back. I read it, uh, and it was an interview he did, in which he said people will die because of this trade. People will die, and that no, doesn't mean you should. Brittany Griner doesn't no, matter, okay. but people will die right. die because this guy is being released because he's going to go right back to doing what he does, and that is providing weapons to bad people to do terrible things and to kill other people. So. That's yep. just uh, where we yep. sit. 
Okay, let's talk about the Twitter files now. Four different drops of Twitter files. Congressman, you and I have spoken many times through the last few years about Twitter censorship, about I quit Twitter. I told you this. I quit Twitter three and a half years yep. ago because, you know, tweets that I would get that used to get, you know, uh, you know, three, four hundred uh, responses were getting five or six. You know, I had 40,000 yep. followers. There are people who had 400,000 followers who were getting 100 responses. We knew what was going on. They denied it. Jack Dorsey appeared before congressional committees and denied shadow banging was going on but now elon musk in full transparency is releasing all of the evidence and they knew exactly what they were doing it was intentional the question is congressman how does accountability happen when the individuals who did it are now no longer running twitter yeah well i mean some of them it looks like may have may have lied to congress when they when they came in front of congress and said there's no way this is happening yeah. So, I mean, that's that's one angle to look at because you're not you're not allowed to come in front of Congress and say things that just aren't accurate that you know aren't accurate. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see. Uh, uh, I think that the, the key element here is this Jim Baker guy because he was on all sides of the equation. You know, he was at this FBI as the chief counsel when they were spying on Trump. He's the guy who accepted the information from from Zussman, the Clinton campaign's attorney, um, and then then he goes to Twitter. He's the one who says, "Oh, this is a hack and leak operation." Uh, when it, when he was referencing the Hunter Biden stuff, and he said it's reasonable to suppress that. And then, of course, you find out he's screening what Elon Musk is trying to release <laughs> just the week, a couple of weeks ago, and he gets and he, and he gets fired. So, um, I think the big takeaway in my mind is again just how close, how cozy it was. This the 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 the, the top guy, one of the top guys at Twitter who was in charge of this effort, was meeting weekly. With the FBI, was he meeting directly with this Elvis Chan guy, the FBI guy out there in, in, in San Francisco? One of the questions I have, too, was, was Jim Baker in these meetings? Was Jim Baker kept abreast of these meetings that were going on, these cozy meetings every week in the run-up to the 2020 election between the FBI and, 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 and the big tech platforms? Those are the kind of things we got to find out. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not real confident that the Garland uh, Justice Department is going to hold anyone accountable. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Well, that's that's the key here, isn't it, Congressman? Because while we complained about you know the shadow banning being done by just the private enterprises, you know the company, the corporate Twitter, and a lot right. of people, ah, oh, it's a private company; they can do what they want. You know, nobody has a right to be on their platform; they can put anybody they want on it. But but when the government is involved, whether it's weekly meetings from the FBI or whether it's just you know the one or two quick uh, little whispers into the ear of people like Mark Zuckerberg on the Facebook side, once the government is involved in censoring the the viewpoints of uh, of of the press, Congress. It's one thing if you say, ah, you know, First Amendment, you know, doesn't apply when it's a private company. Well, it does if the private company is operating as media, and and Twitter is indeed part of media, part of the press, and the yeah. freedom of the press is one of the five protect- protections in the First Amendment. Yeah. If the government is being, you know, is responsible for this, now we literally are talking about governmental suppression of the First Amendment. No, t- totally true. Uh, that's why I want to talk to Timothy Tebalt. We have asked him repeatedly to come talk to us because this is the guy that the whistleblower, FBI agent whistleblower, who went to, to Senator Grassley said Timothy Tebalt was involved when he was at the FBI in suppressing the Hunter Biden story. Uh, I want to talk to him. I want, to, I want to talk to this Elvis Chan. He was deposed by Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Attorney General Landry's offices a couple of weeks ago, but they didn't know about the direct connection between uh, – they didn't know about this Jim Baker connection, and they didn't ask specifically about that. So I want to talk to this Elvis Chan. We, the letter we sent to, to uh, Attorney General Garland a couple of weeks ago, we laid out 20-some individuals nature at the Justice Department. And two of those individuals are Mr. Tebalt uh, and Mr. Chan, who uh, Mr. Chan is still with Justice Department. Mr. Tebalt has, has since left the FBI. 
But we want to talk to those guys and get to the bottom of it and fully understand where the pressure came from. Clay, uh, Clay Travis said something the other day that I thought was really interesting. Who was the person at the FBI who decided we're going to do this? We're going to collude and keep the Hunter Biden story from the American people, and we're going to put pressure on these agencies to only only post the information or only let the information that, that they want out there to actually move the way it's supposed to move. Who was that individual? We need to find out who that person was. And then they do need to help be held accountable. I'm glad you brought him up, Congressman Jim Jordan, ranking member of the House Judiciary, soon to be chair of that uh, committee. Um, I did a little Google search, not a Google, I don't use Google, I use DuckDuckGo for now, um, on Hunter Biden. Headlines, Hunter Biden allies pursue plans to go on offense. Hunter Biden goes on offense. Hunter Biden plans to go on offense. Sue conservatives as GOP. <laughs> so so the, he, he's now, after all of this silence, after two and a half years of silence, uh, Hunter Biden and his team are going to go on offense and try to sue people for daring to slander him or, or defame him based on information that is in that now verified even by uh, the Washington Post. And I think yesterday CBS News said, yeah, we've independently verified that yep. the information... The laptop is real. Congressman, is this anything short of just witness uh, intimidation? That's the only reason they're making these statements, right? Well, the Democrats already uh, said they formed a a group of individuals to come after Mr. Comer, Mr. McCarthy, myself, and other Republicans who want to get to the bottom of all the crazy things that have been happening, the investigations that need to happen so the country gets the truth. They've already said they formed. There's a story in Politico a few weeks ago. Yeah, there's a group. David Brock is, running, is, is part of this group to come after us. So this is just how the left operates. It's, it's not about, like, getting the truth and the facts of the country. It's about how dare you say anything negative about the left, anything negative about Democrats. Even if it's the fact, they're going to come after you. So that's just how they, how they, how they operate. It's, it's unfortunate, um, but that's who the left is today. And, and, and the, the bottom line here is, they hate the First Amendment, and they hate the First Amendment because they don't want the truth out there. And that is so scary because that is not healthy. That is not how a democracy and a, and a free country is supposed to operate. That's why it's so important we actually prevail in this fight um, as, as we move forward. Do you think that there are threats of lawsuits against anybody who may come forward with statements against Hunter Biden based on what's in that laptop? Laptop. Do you think they will be successful? Do you think anybody will back down and say, I, I'm not really going to take the stand on this? I hope not, and I, I think, look, you know, courage is contagious. Uh, what what Elon Musk is putting out there, other people who've come forward, I think that that is always good. That's, you know, Americans deep down love freedom. I, I, I don't think it'll be successful, but I tell you what, it's all part of this cancel culture intimidation effort from the left, and that's just how they <clears> – <throat> look, we, we had a hearing last week. They're trying to intimidate the Supreme Court. It's been a concerted effort now for a couple years started with Schumer standing on the steps of the Supreme Court saying, we're going to come after you, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. You will you have unleashed the whirlwind. Then what they did to Kavanaugh during his, before that, what they did to him during his confirmation, the, the attack on Justice Thomas and his wife uh, over the last year, the leak of the Supreme Court uh, of the Dobbs, the draft opinion. I mean, it's like, it's all the, 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 the bill that Jerry Nadler introduced to pack the court. I mean, like, the, it's all about intimidation. That's how the left operates. But uh, again, you're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to be intimidated. And there's so many great Americans who say, no, we're going to step forward and stand up for the truth. 
Uh, Congressman Jim Jordan is our guest uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, speaking of truth, uh, Ted Lieu is among congressional Democrats uh, calling you a liar, uh, claiming that you are lying about an October tweet from the House GOP judiciary account in support of Kanye West from back in October. Obviously, we all know Kanye has gone off the rails. Nobody, I, I've never yeah. seen anything quite like what has happened to him over the course of the last month. Some of the statements he's yep. made, anti-Semitic remarks, praise for Hitler, things that are just bizarre that I never, ever saw coming. So everybody, of course, is distancing themselves from Kanye now, and with good reason. But Ted Lou says that you lied about a tweet being deleted from GOP judiciary that supported Kanye West back in October. Can you speak to that? Yeah, this got brought up in committee hearing last week, and yeah. I, I think what I said is it wasn't on our account. What I meant is it wasn't on my account. It was on the judiciary account, so uh, that, that tweet was taken down. But the tweet was put up before Kanye West said it. I think the tweet was like, you know, something like, God bless uh, Trump, Elon, and 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 and, uh, and we mentioned Kanye West. Kanye. But that was before he said all the crazy things that he said. So right. uh, that, that tweet was taken down. But it wasn't on uh, – it wasn't on uh, – it wasn't on our – that's just how I talk. It wasn't on my account. It wasn't on the, the, the Jim Jordan Twitter account. It was on the, uh, the the GOP account, which I don't I don't I don't put anything on that account. That's done from our uh, from our uh, GOP staff. Yeah, and and you know whether I can tell you this: if it had been on my account, I would have deleted it after the fact too, because you know what? Right, I'm not going right, to. I don't want a record on there supporting somebody who's being anti-Semitic because somebody yeah. might not check the dates. At the time, there were lots of people praising Kanye West because this is right after I believe you know he wore the White Lives Matter shirt with Candace Owens in an attempt to bridge a divide, saying you know what? Here we're two black well, people saying White Lives Matter, uh, just like yeah. white people say Black Lives Matter. We're trying to bridge the gap here a little bit. I praised that. I would have had no problem tweeting, good job, Kanye, well, on that. But then after he went nuts, <laughs> or after he yeah. started saying some of these indefensible things, I would have deleted it, too. It makes sense. Yeah. The, the, I think it was also, actually, he, would, he said some strong pro-life things. Uh, and, and that, too. If I remember yes. right, that, 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 that the, the GOP counted, uh, our, our judiciary count had put that up, so. That's what I was. Referencing. Yeah, he wears that. Um, he wears that pendant on, around a chain, and it's a it's a picture of a, of a sonogram, and and it was his way of saying that's a baby. Uh, you know, I believe in pro life. That's not cells or whatever the case is. So yeah, he said a lot of very positive things that said a lot of con- had a lot of conservatives praising him at the time. But for them to attack you or the GOP judiciary account for praising him at a time which was before any of this <laughs> this anti-Semitic stuff is. It's just bizarre. I mean, they're look they're desperate yeah. grasping for straws to try to take down formidable opponents to their agenda, which of which you were one. It's never course. about the facts. It's never about uh, it's with these guys. It's all about just attacking and. Uh, but that's I mean you know what are you going to do? That's just what you expect from the left. But it was it wasn't on my account. Uh, it was on the our, our, our you know it was on the House Judiciary uh, GOP account. So. Um, has, has your team issued anyway, a statement saying that, Congress, Congressman? Because this is the first I've heard that. That's It's a perfectly reasonable explanation. Are you guys going to issue a statement on that so we can just put an end I to this? I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll talk with our, our media people to see okay. but, uh, uh, where we go from there. Okay. Last thing, Congressman, this blows my mind. There were, uh, I saw a video this morning of 1,500, an estimated 1,500 new, uh, migrants in a caravan escorted by the Mexican police or the Mexican military or somebody in buses all across Mexico, all the way to the El Paso sector there. 1,500 of them overnight crossed into the United States. I have to ask you this because of what happened last week. Biden went to Arizona. 
and was asked by a reporter, since you're finally in a border state, can you go down and take a look and see what's going on there? And he said, no, there's more important things going on. Is there anything as important as surrendering national sovereignty and security at the same time? Congressman? Hello? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I yeah, you cut out yeah, there. Sorry driving. about I'm, that. I apologize. We're, we're, we're driving. Uh, no, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. We, we have literally went from a secure border to no border, and Joe Biden doesn't seem to care. Right? He, as evidenced by his actions and by that statement that, 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 that there when he was asked by the reporter, like, of course he should go to the border. He won't do it. We, we, and it just, again, what, what you just described, what hap, what's happening just underscores how, how important it was to have the remain in Mexico policy. And you have to apply for asylum claims in, in Mexico, not come to the United States and, and do your claim here. That is so fundamental, so basic. That's what we had under President Trump. But he won't do it. It's almost like he's sticking his head in the sand. You know, nothing to see here. We're like, what are you doing? We've had like 4 million people illegally cross the border in the, in, in the 22 months he's been president. This is truly unprecedented. So, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's just it, it, the only explanation is this is intentional. And why they would want to intentionally do this to our country, um, I, I just I, I fail to see it. And I think so many Americans who, who understand what's going on fail to see it either. I, I don't even think Democrats can can explain it. I, I mean, even Democrats look at this and say, I, we don't, they got their, their hands up, too. I mean, literally saying, we're ignoring the problem. I'm not going to go down and see it. I'm going to be in Arizona, but there are more important things going on. More important than that, I don't get it. Even Democrats can't defend it, so that lets you know <laughs> yeah, how that but, really but, is. But more important things, like, well, more, what, do you, what do you spend your time on? You spend your time on driving up inflation to a 41-year high? <laughs> you spend, you're spending your time on, you know, the, all the stupid policies that, are, that, are, that Democrats are doing that are causing rampant crime in all our major urban areas? You, you, you spend your time on what what are you spending your time on uh trying to suppress free speech on on social media platform (laughs) what are what else is there to spend on other bad things you're doing it's like that's what's so ridiculous about these guys um i don't know well and just a statement earlier the statement earlier in the year, or maybe it was even last year, his first year, he said, well, I haven't had time. I'm a busy guy. I haven't had time to go down to the border. You know, he's been to Delaware 1,850 times. Uh, he spent, I don't know, 270 days on vacation thus far, and no time at all to go down to Texas or to Arizona or something and see this. It just it, it, it kind of lays bare what his real feelings are about the problem. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you for the time. I know you're very busy. You we bet, appreciate Bob. you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, brother. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer, it's 9.54. By the way, I uh, got a note here that says, yes, a release was already made to the Washington Examiner, so my bad for not seeing it, uh, saying this was not on the Jordan account. This was on the GOP Judiciary Committee account, but it is not something that is penned or written by Jim Jordan. So to clarify that, should be done. Okay, 9.54, right back on Always Right Radio. All right, friends, what do you say we uh, spend a moment or two with the kids? Huh? Let's uh, let's spend a little bit of time on a family-friendly show, which we try to make this, but let's go really family-friendly here. What is, much, what is more family-friendly, what is more kid-friendly, what is more kid-centric than Mr. Rogers? We all remember Mr. Rogers. Remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Any kid who came home and heard Mr. Rogers on was instantly taken by just the the gentle, warm nature and the welcoming uh, uh, voice of Mr. Rogers. 
just sharing all of the wonderful family values and virtues that we love so much. I think we, I think we need a little bit more of Mr. Rogers in our lives in 2022. I really do. That you make. You know, everybody's fancy. You, me, some are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mummies. Only boys can grow up and be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Just a little bit of a reminder from the wonderful Fred Rogers in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Who knew that Mr. Rogers knew so much about science? It's 10 o'clock. We're going to get the news. And then on the other side of the news, we're going to talk to State Senator Andy Brenner about Senate Bill 178 that's causing a lot of consternation among conservatives in the state of Ohio. We'll try to get to the bottom of it with him coming up on AM 1420. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. You know, that introductory clip uh, from President Reagan could not have been more appropriate than right now, considering what we're about to talk about, considering what our... Uh, leaders in Columbus at the, in the General Assembly are about to do. Johnny, can you play that Reagan clip again for me? I just want to hear it again because, I mean, it literally describes what we are deciding right now. Can you hit that again? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We'll preserve for our children the last best hope for man on earth, or we will condemn or sentence them to a thousand years of darkness. What we do to and for our children literally right now will determine the future of our society, of our civilization, of humanity. It is that important, and that's why we spend so much time on this program talking about education, talking about the shifting uh, winds, if you will, of education from education to indoctrination, from science to wokeness, and so much more. We have seen uh, educational curricula changing dramatically, involving CRT, involving SEL, social-emotional learning, involving comprehensive sex education. We have seen division. Uh, We have seen sexual exploitation of children by way of curricula, and we wonder what it's going to take to stop this nonsense. Now here comes the federal government saying, hey, we're going to reform Title IX. It's not going to just protect girls and their rights anymore. It's going to protect anybody who thinks or says that they're a girl. In other words, it's going to erase protections for girls. And Ohio and other states, if you don't adopt these changes, we're going to starve your poor kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what the Biden administration says. We're going to withhold funding for your school lunch programs. Your free and reduced price lunches for your poor kids aren't coming if you don't do what we tell you to do on Title IX. What is the state of Ohio going to do? Joining us now to talk about this and a little bit more is um, Ohio State Senator Andrew Brenner from Delaware County. Uh, Senator Brenner, good to have you on the program. How are you, sir? I'm glad to be on. Thank you for having me on this morning. This is such a this is such a big deal. You know, I'm starting off on the Title IX thing only because I think mm-hmm. it is uh, one of the driving forces here uh, for this bill that you and I are going to discuss, Senate Bill 178. Um, there are a whole lot of people, myself included, who are just furious with the Ohio Board of Education for not following the lead of the Ohio Attorney General and others, saying we are not going to be forced by the federal government to adopt these changes that significantly impact the <clears throat> educational experiences and potentially the safety of Ohio, Ohio's young girls uh, by adopting these things. And we're waiting for the Ohio Board of Education to say, yeah, uh, we want our superintendent to issue guidance to all Ohio districts saying don't do this. And our Ohio board is not making that. As a matter of fact, a very, very strong resolution introduced by board member Brendan Shea uh, has been punted mm-hmm. two or three times now. And so people are sick and tired of what the Ohio school board is doing, and they're looking for a change. Is that the reason why 178 has come along? The complete, uh, yes. Uh, the complete dysfunction of the state school board is why this is going to where it is and where the state of our schools is today. Um just touching on the Brandon Shea Amendment. He introduced it, I think, three or four months ago. Yeah, This has been discussed briefly, I think, for a little longer than that. I sit as an ex-officio member on the state school board since I chair the Senate Primary and Secondary Education Committee. Mm-hmm. So I get to see firsthand how dysfunctional it is. Um, they could have easily passed a resolution that says, uh, boys, biological boys should not compete in girls' sports and we disagree with Title IX's, uh, the, the stuff that the Biden administration is doing, and we support Attorney General Yost's, um, you know, lawsuit uh, to, to deal with that. I, I, but that hasn't happened. In fact, they, they've gone on four months. There's been back-and-forth discussion of it. Um, it. It should have been a simple resolution that could have been done m- months ago and was not. So I, I don't understand why that was, didn't happen. Uh, but it, it just highlights the dysfunction of the board in general. And then if you take a look at the state of our schools, I mean, not even getting into the wokeism of, you know, whether it's critical race theory or other those types of issues, these schools, our urban schools especially, are failing our students miserably. And nobody seems to want to talk about it. Um, you know, you've got data coming out of, like you know, Cleveland, East Cleveland, Youngstown. You look at the data coming from those districts, and as an example, East Cleveland City School District, they've got, and just to tell your listeners, you need to get about 50% of the test questions correct, approximately, on a state standardized test to be proficient. So you've passed enough, you've passed enough of the questions, and we believe you're proficient in that area, whether it's in third grade through high school. And these are mostly tests that are required by the federal government, but it's English, math, and science, uh, and that's in American government, American history when you're in, uh, in uh, high school. And if you take a look at the numbers, East Cleveland, uh, they had in eighth grade this last school year a 2.1% passage rate for math. Uh, they've got similar problems uh, in Youngstown, Cleveland, East Cleveland, Columbus. The chronic absentee rates are through the roof. 
Uh, chronic absentee rate, Columbus Public Schools last school year, meaning kids missed 10% or more of the school year, was 65%. Uh, you've got attendance rates in the mid to upper 70s. Columbus Public is the largest school district in the state. They had 9,100 kids, essentially, equivalently, not attend school last school year, yet we're paying Columbus Public for 9,100 kids to not attend school at about 16000 per student. The state board appoints the state superintendent. Mm-hmm. It has been, I think, either at or approaching 16 months with an interim superintendent. And that's not to say that the interim superintendent's not trying to do something, but she's the interim superintendent. She's not the permanent one. The board yeah, is still And the board is not doing its out. job, is the, is the bottom They're line They're not doing here. its job. Right. Oversight so, so, on all of this. Yeah. Go okay, on. so let, let me let me move ahead only because we have limited time yep. here. Uh, yep. We could sit here and talk about all the board's failures or or you know missed opportunities all day long. So that is the reason why many believe that this one seventy eight Senate Bill one seventy eight has been pushed through. The House had a version of it as well, uh, and this creates a board. I want you to explain what this. Uh, just give me a summary of what one seventy eight does. What does the Department of Education and Workforce, which would be the new board or the new commission, Correct. if you will, created? Appointed by the governor, what does it do? Give me your overall summary. Well, Senator Reinecke is the sponsor of the bill. It basically creates a cabinet-level position that oversees the Ohio Department of Education as well as all the career centers and and elevates the level of career centers to be up there with all education so that we have an educated workforce that can either go into the private sector and work right out of high school or be able to go on to college. Um, It also uh, takes the powers of basically rulemaking and puts them underneath the Department of Education at the new cabinet level position appointed by the governor. So it takes those powers away from the board. It takes them from the board. The board will still do territory transfers. It'll be like a professional licensure board, similar to other states like Florida under Governor DeSantis. He actually appoints the entire board. We and or the bill does not change the makeup of the board. It is still 11 elected uh, positions, and it is still eight appointed positions by the governor. Uh, but their duties become uh, territory transfers, professional conduct, and licensure, and, and they oversee that underneath the newly... Uh, they no longer have power to recommend or establish policy with respect to curriculum. Correct. Okay, and that's the important part about this. Now, Senator Brenner, um, I have been talking to a lot of conservatives over the last couple of days, and really over the last mm-hmm. week or so, uh, and i got to tell you, I'm getting my brains beat in here on both sides with people telling me this is yep. finally an opportunity to take that do-nothing school board and pull those very important powers away from it and put it into the hands of a of a different board who might be a little bit more... Uh, you know, um, reliable for parents who are concerned about the education and about the, about curricula. But then I got others saying, "Wait a second, the school board, for all of its failures, at least a portion of it is answerable to the people by way of voting. They're elected. Eleven of that you pointed out. Eleven of them are elected. Eight of them are appointed. Now, if we give power to a DEW, Department of Education and Workforce." It's all appointed. All of the power goes into the hands of Governor Mike DeWine to decide who's, who is going to establish this very important platform for curricula and 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 uh, and rules uh, with respect to Ohio schools. Do we really want to hand all of that power to one man, particularly since Governor DeWine hasn't exactly hit it out of the ballpark uh, with some of his appointments to the at-large members of the board? 
Well, and that, so that argument is the Senate is a check and balance, and we have been checking and balancing. Last year we eliminated, or not eliminated, we said, hey, we're not going to approve the two board members who, when the board passed the resolution saying that our education system is systemically racist, the two board members, who was the former president, she, uh, we said, look, we're not going to reappoint them, and didn't. This would be the same with the cabinet level. The governor would ultimately have responsibility now. Uh, on it because the governor can right now say it's the state school board's fault and so then what happens is the state but how can the governor uh, senator brenner if i may how can the governor say that when again so many of the state school board members are the ones that he appointed that are they're the particularly the problem children pardon the the phrase of the board uh so many of his appointees voted against the shea amendment which you described yourself as should have been very easy common sensible to go ahead and pass that um and as a matter of fact i want to ask you about this since we're on this subject senator Mm-hmm. I've got a list of the governor's appointees to the board, uh, c- upcoming board. Um, and what's interesting is that those who were on the the, the side of the woke or the left wing side, if you will, the uh, the support of the changes to Title IX and so forth, those who have asked for reappointments are getting it. Uh, Mark LaMancha is on the list of reappointment. Paul LaRue is on the list for reappointment. Uh, Melissa Bedell is on the list for reappointment. Mike Toll is the only one who offered an amendment in support of the Shea resolution, which kind of strengthened it, as a matter of fact. He has asked for reappointment. He's not on the list. Mike DeWine doesn't want anything to do with Mike Toll. He wants his left-wing members of the board to stay on the board. So that being the case, can we trust him to appoint a a cabinet-level director and, and board of leadership or commission of leadership to replace the powers of these board members? Well, I don't completely agree with that, but I do agree with the fact that he does have the ability to appoint those eight members. Uh, we have oversight in the in the Senate, which we are going to do. Um, we also, I can say, the board is now, at least of the elected members, a majority of them are Democrats. Teresa Fetter, who's the former state senator, is now going to be on the state school board. Right. So you're going to have this function no matter what going forward on the board. Um, no, the you are. You, you are. I agree, Senator Burner. I agree, but I'm just saying that the governor has an opportunity here to balance that out a little bit by putting some people who are more traditionally educationally minded rather than indoctrinationally minded in the at-large positions that he appoints. He has an opportunity there to counter the Teresa Fetters of the world, for example, who's an elected position, and he's not doing it. I, and I and I have a great fear of of his judgment. And as far as the Senate providing um, uh, oversight, you know, having to confirm this, I agree, but and. I legitimately don't know the answer to this question, so maybe you do. When is the last time that the Ohio Senate did not confirm a governmental, or excuse me, a governor's appointee to the Ohio Board of Education? Well, it was technically last year when we told the governor that the two members who didn't change their vote, uh, we were not going to re-up them, and so he, they with they both resigned. Okay, uh, that was uh, that was President Kohler and uh, Eric Poklar. Uh, they voted on the resolution, did not change their position. It was a bunch of other things. So Jay so Carr, do, there were do you think that the Senate, do you think that the the GOP-dominated Senate will look at some of these appointees who are current board members for reappointment by Governor DeWine and tell them, no, we don't give our We're having that discussion right now. They are technically in my committee, but we have some time yet to take a look at them going forward. Mm-hmm. Um 
even if, let's say, we go ahead and, and reject them all and put in all conservative members and, and say, okay, let's get the most right-wing people and put them all on there, um, you're still going to have the same dysfunction in the department because you've got a $23 billion entity controlled by a superintendent and government bureaucrats who have no oversight from the board because the board, like John Hagan, will ask very good questions. He's a board member, former state rep, big, big conservative. He and, mm-hmm. and Diana Fessler ask really good questions of the superintendent, who then never gets back to them. Or their, her staff doesn't get back to them. So there's nobody there that's really accountable to the board to address the concerns of the board, even if you put all conservatives on there. Um, how how would so that change, Senator? How would that change then if there is this cabinet level director position and this uh, this Department of Education and Workforce Commission? It would make the governor accountable. Then we, as the members of the General Assembly and the public, can start pointing fingers at the governor for not doing his job. Uh, the governor can right now say it's the superintendent's job, not his. Uh, the governor right now can say it's the state board's job, not his. And well, well, you're, you're, you're right about that, but the is there any... Titanic, is, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, sir. If you change the deck of the Titanic, the Titanic already sunk 100 years ago. My point is is that the board, you can, you can make them all elected, and, and it will still not change the ultimate function of what the board is doing, which is not much of oversight. Uh, they're supposed to have a lot of oversight. This was my point on the test scores and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. we got districts not picking kids up. Uh, the, the chartered kids, which are supposed to be picked up by school b- districts, are not even being picked up in, like, Columbus Public and others. There's a bunch of kids that are just being that are sitting there, let alone picking up their own kids. And the department's response, after we gave them some law changes, was to basically, well, they're, they're working on it, but there's no leadership there. And I think that's the problem that, that's missing. There's nobody at the helm. Uh, it's, it's like the well, Titanic, and, and nobody's at the helm there. Senator Brenner, I know you've got a 1030, so I'm going to try to get a few more questions yeah. in here before we're done. I appreciate yeah, we your time. We're talking to Senator Andy Brenner on AM 1420, The Answer. So, so let me ask you this. If 178 becomes a law and this, uh, and this DEW uh, is created, mm-hmm. um, can you commit to, when you vote for confirmation of the, of the appointees by the governor, that are the nominees by the governor there, can you commit that if individuals are not fully on board with uh, Title IX, leaving Title IX the way it is, and getting back to education and not the the wokeness, it matters. I know you said, you know, looking apart from that at oh, test scores. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying test scores don't matter. But the, the, the atmosphere in our public schools right now is flat-out toxic, in large part due to the Ohio Education Association, uh, in mm-hmm. large part due to the, the, the National Education Association and so forth, and parents who are livid over what's going on as their kids are being exposed to sexual or, uh, sexualized um, exploitation and some other things. Can you commit yourself, and do you believe, this is be more of your opinion that there are enough okay. uh, votes in, in a confirmation setting to make sure that governor wine cannot appoint radical leftists to continue that stuff if there is a dew board for the cabinet level position that he's going to this create we are going to scrutinize his his cabinet level position as we would anybody but in this particular case education in my opinion is the most important thing the state can do and we're going to scrutinize his cabinet-level position to make sure that he's got somebody in there that is going to stand up for school choice, stand up for parents, stand up for the kids. And um, I can tell you that's what we're going to do. I'm, I can't speak on behalf of Senate President Huffman, but I've had enough conversations with him to say that 
I believe he would also stand up for the, the families, the kids, school mm-hmm. choice, and those options, and we would want to make sure there's a cabinet-level position in there uh, that does the same thing. How, how large would this uh, DEWB, this workforce, uh, educational workforce department, we're talking about the cabinet-level director, it, but then how many other, uh, how large is the group? It's the Ohio Department of Education. We're just sticking it under a cabinet-level position. Oh, so it's, it's just creating really the one position. It. Okay. It's just creating the one position. It's not creating the multiple layers. It, well, it's creating a one position, then two directors. So essentially, the, the two directors report to the cabinet-level position. Right now, now would those directors also be it. subject to advice and consent or no? I don't know. I would have to take a look at that uh, to see. I believe the definitely the cabinet level position would be. Uh, okay. Beyond that, uh, the state board would still be. I mean, the state board appointees would still be. Any appointees that fill in a vacancy would still be. Sure. None of that changes. Right. But 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 again, their 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 responsibilities would be much much less uh, as a result of the creation of this this uh, educational workforce department. Um, last thing right. for you then, so you can get into your meeting. I've got great concern when I think of Mike DeWine appointing a cabinet-level position like this. I do feel a little bit better, as you point out, about the Senate's advice and consent. You will make sure to scrutinize very, very closely whoever runs this thing. However, I'm really much more concerned about future events. I'm worried about a 2026 governor's race and uh, somebody like a Tim Ryan running and winning and a far-left governor is now appointing uh, the director of a board that essentially, or a department, if you will, that has gutted the school board and the people's right to make a, you know, to make their own statement here by electing the people that they want. They can still elect them, as you pointed out, but they just don't have the power over curriculum and over the uh, important aspects of the educational system that you and I just talked about here. So if we create this board and give kind of all-encompassing power, if you will, to the governor, and the governor is a bad guy, if the governor is a far-left, anti-education guy, aren't we putting a real bad, putting ourselves in a real bad situation? Well, no more than we are right now. I mean, if let's say Nan Whaley won. She would be mm-hmm. the one appointing the state school board under the current structure. So those eight members would be all her appointees, and with the Democrats having controlled now the elected members of the state school board, they have a majority of the elected members of the board, they would have total control over the board. So well, you're right. You're, you're 100% right. And that's now, why they'd be even worse. That's so why that I'm getting beaten actually, up over this. Yeah, because you're right. Well, I feel like we're damned if, we're, if we do them, we're damned if we don't. Um, you know, that I the appointments of the governor are, are an issue. Because I can address some of that. But the, the issue before your break is that right now, uh, the board, uh, even if, let, let's say that we do this and it becomes Nan Whaley down the road or Tim Ryan or somebody else. Sure. Um, we would still have then the ability to have a check and balance on the governor, assuming the Republicans maintain control of the General Assembly, which I don't see that changing anytime soon. But let's say that even were to happen, well, then you got a catastrophic failure across the board, <laughs> which we have in education right now. Yes, I mean, you think the woke problems are going on now, they're, they're going to continue, they're going to get worse underneath uh, a current board who's really not stopped any of it. So, I mean, think about everything that right. you just at, said. The current board has done nothing to stop any of it for the last... Six seven years. The the only the you, I, I don't disagree with a word of that. 
uh, uh, Senator, I don't disagree with the word of that. You're 100% right. Yep. The only thing that a lot of conservative groups are telling me who oppose this is at least there's a chance on the 11 elected positions. No, we haven't won these elections with the right, you know, educationally minded individuals. I don't want to say conservatives uh, in, in recent uh, elections mm-hmm. and with the state of the current uh, board. But at least there's a chance that we can win those if it is, a, is strictly a governor appointment only, as in with the DEW. We don't even have a say. Uh, and that's their concern. Yeah. So that, that's why we're in a very tough spot right now. There's a rock and a hard place here, and we're right in the middle of it. And that's yeah, we got our choice between not two good solutions, and we got to go with the better solution. And right now, I believe the better solution is to have a governor's appointed cabinet-level position to run the department. And then we, as the General Assembly, are check and balance over the appointment, as well as the actual legislation that we pass that never seems to go anywhere. We pass conservative legislation that doesn't go anywhere in the Department of Education. Right. Uh, an example right. of the ACE account that failed miserably. No, you're upset right. It doesn't go anywhere, and that is a, very, that is a point of great frustration for, for many uh, parents and for a lot of conservatives as well. State Senator Andy yep. Brenner, I appreciate you coming on. I'll let you get in your meeting. Thank you. Thank you for the time, and I hope we can talk again. Oh, Thank definitely. You, Thank you. All right. Uh, that vote is tomorrow, by the way. It is scheduled to be tomorrow. The vote on 178 in the Senate. Uh, will it Will it pass? And will this become a law? Uh, essentially stripping the school board of its powers? I don't know. But I know there's a lot of conservatives on both sides of the issue who are very, very uh, uh, concerned. I'll put it that way. That is our last guest of the morning. It's 1032. So we're going to get a time out here for news. And then I'm going to open it up to you. If you're a conservative and you're concerned about this one way or the other, on what side do you fall? 216-901-0945. Let me hear from you on AM 1420 The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mummies. Only boys can be the daddies, yes sir. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is. It's got a little beat to it. You got to admit, it's 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 got a little rhythm. I'm I'm doing a little sway in here as I listen to Mr. Rogers, circa like 1968 or something like that. I'm I'm doing a little. I'm, I'm kind of got a vibe going here. I, I may put this on my playlist. I may put it on my phone. I may I may download it as an MP3 and put it on my phone. Who knew how prescient Mister Rogers would be way back when, decades ago, before the insanity of this portion of the 21st century? But he saw it coming, and he wanted you to know the reality. Mister Rogers had some science, my friends. 1042, uh, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again to State Senator Andy Brenner uh, for his time. Thanks again to Congressman Jim Jordan for his. We're guest-free the rest of the way, so we're going to take your phone calls at 216-901-0945. I meant what I said. 
I'm of two minds on this. I really am. Um, and I've had conservative friends of both sides who are saying, get rid of this school board. Stop the Title IX, or its powers. Get rid of the school board's powers, the Ohio Board of Education. Stop this Title IX nonsense, this, uh, this expansion from happening from the federal government. Uh, it's, it's important that we do that immediately. Get rid of this board's powers before the end of this lame duck session and create a new governor's appointed uh, uh, Department of Education workforce. That way, we can stop this Title IX thing in its, in its tracks. So there's the, here's the immediate benefit, but then the question becomes, what about the long-term consequences and ramifications of giving full power to a board or to a department that is created by the governor? What if the governor is incompetent? And let me say this for the record, ours is. What if the governor is Republican in name, conservative in in promise, but Democrat and left-wing woke in practice? Because I've got news for you. Ours is. So do we really want to give that kind of power via Senate Bill 178 to the governor to appoint the leadership of the education in this state. I don't like the current board. I don't like its makeup. But hell, eight out of the 19 members were appointed by our governor. So if you don't like the makeup, because the governor appointed so many leftists to the board, are you going to like this new department any better when the governor appoints it? Senator Brenner's answer was, don't sleep on the Senate. Senator Brenner's answer was, we still have to approve and confirm anybody he picks for those positions. So let trust the advice and consent process. I don't see the mammoth majority of the Republican-led Senate going away anytime soon. So trust us, whether it's Mike DeWine or Nan Whaley or Tim Ryan or somebody else in the governor's office, we still have to approve anybody they pick so we can stop this in its tracks. That's why I asked him, when's the last time the Ohio Senate, uh, you through advice and consent, uh, said no to a, a nominee to the board? And he said, well, we had recommended that these individuals not be reappointed, and they weren't. But that's not quite the same thing as voting down a nominee by the governor, especially if you're doing that to the governor who is of your own party. But he said, trust the Senate on advice and consent, and that's your answer. How do you feel about it? 216-901-0945, The phone lines are full. I want to go first to Melanie. Melanie is with the Ohio Roundtable. And you know, of course, Rob Walgate is a regular fill-in host on this program from the Ohio Roundtable, along with Dave Zanotti. Uh, Melanie, good morning. Good to have you. How are you this morning? Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. So uh, are you speaking of your own accord, or are you speaking on behalf of the roundtable right now as you give your reaction to this? Um, both. Okay, let's hear it. What are your thoughts? Um, you're the, you're the national, just, just for this, just, I'm sorry, just for the sake of uh, uh, clarity, you're the national legislative director, right? Correct. Okay, good. Go ahead. What, what are your thoughts on what you just heard from Senator Brenner, and where do you want this to go? Well, even prior to your conversation with Senator Brenner, it's important to know that I have I started attending the monthly meetings of the state school board in 92. Mm-hmm. So I have watched what I'm sure many would call a train wreck in slow motion in real time over that's the a, years. That's a lot of meetings when since, I, since, uh, since 92. Yeah. When, I wow. first, <laughs> when I first started attending, it was a fully elected board. Um, and the change came in 1995 to add the eight appointees. Over time, 
if you can imagine on the legislative committees, if 40% of each of the legislative committees had an appointee of the opposite party, um, that would create tension in, in what's discussed and how things are decided. It's a structure that doesn't work. The uh, Title 33 in the state law, which governs education, is full of structure and systems. What they're doing in 178 is changing the structure. We've had a bill pending in the House, House Bill 298, all this two, last two years, to pull off the appointed members of, of that board. And it sat and sat and sat and hasn't gone anywhere. It got sponsor testimony um, in the House. It did not get out of committee. So the legislature has had a chance to change the structure of the board to an all-elected board. And they, they, they passed on that. Have they spoken on that, and, Melanie? I, I, I was not aware of that, and I would love to know what their answer is or their explanation as to why this sits there. I, I don't have an answer to that. I'm sure the sponsor would love to know <laughs> why it's not moving. Or who's, who's, who sponsored it? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, Adam Bird. Adam Bird, uh, Representative Bird. He happens to have formally, prior to being a state representative, he's with a local school superintendent. Okay. Um, so that's... I want to. I want to know who to reach out to. <laughs> so, yep, so I appreciate Adam Bird that. is the guy yeah. to reach out to. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Um, Continue. This bill has been pending since House Bill One Seventy or Senate Bill One Seventy Eight was introduced in May of Twenty One. It's been sitting as a one-page placeholder for eighteen months. It changed to a twenty-one hundred-page bill about two weeks ago, uh, maybe even less than that. So it's, it's moving very quickly and lame duck. Um, to create a different structure. What I think listeners need to understand is that, and I don't know where the votes are going to fall in terms of whether this, it's already passed the Senate. Um, The Senate vote happened this past week. It's now it's pending and it's moving pretty quickly through the House. There'll be sponsor testimony today. There will be um, a throw everything at the wall testimony tomorrow with regard to opponent, proponent, interested party, possible amendments and a vote. So everything's happening tomorrow in, in committee. Okay. And then it will um, go to the floor for a vote. So in that context, not knowing where the votes are going to fall, the one thing the House can do to guarantee... We've all lived through COVID. We all lived through what the Department of Health did with the governor and in the overreach. The General Assembly fixed that last year with Senate Bill 22. They passed legislation that caused the governor to rescind all of his orders in one swell swoop in the middle of June. Why? Because the the General Assembly put a mechanism in that said, any rules from the Department of Health that we don't like, we will invalidate with a concurrent resolution. You only need a 50% majority vote, Mm -hmm. and the governor can't veto it. That gives the General Assembly oversight over any rule that could be promulgated through a, a new Department of Education. If all they have to do is copy and paste what they did, and Senate Bill 22, and make it apply to the Department of Education. And then nothing can be passed that they can't have oversight directly on through a simple majority vote in both chambers. So that's, let, that's let me, one let thing. Let me ask you something real quick, Melanie. Um, how long was the original bill before you said two weeks ago it expanded to 2,100 pages? It, would, it was introduced in the month of May. I don't remember the exact date, but it was middle of May in 2021. Okay. And and and, and how, how, what, what, did, what, what did it look like then? It was a single page that was a, in concept that we want to restructure the State Board of Education forms and functions or something like that. 
It was just a simple paragraph that said, this is a one-page placeholder for what we want to discuss and, and do. When we Basically, they do that all the time with major legislation. You, you know, they'll put a one-page placeholder in conceptually. They'll, they'll work out the details on a bill and then introduce it as a sub-bill in committee. Well, the process on 178, it sat as a one-page for, six, for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then in lame duck, they bring out the the 2100 pages and the reason it's 2100 pages to be clear is because the amount of responsibilities that are going to go to the single appointed man or woman in the new department will is voluminous it's it's overwhelming amount of um duties and responsibilities a single person is going to have authority over. Well, well and, and not only that, um, no one who's going to vote on this is going to know what those duties are, because, I mean, tell me, and this is a question without an answer, I'm just trying to make a point here with rhetoric, how many members of the Senate or the House in, all, in Columbus are going to read those 2,100 pages before they vote on this? I, I would de- venture to say zero. No one is going to be familiar with everything in those one, uh, 2,100 pages of, of 178 as far as all of the powers and all of the duties and all the responsibilities of this cabinet-level position. Nobody is going to know. Right. They're going to be voting okay. based on based on their, their relationships and their associate, associations with the individuals who are pushing this forward. I would like to know, how, I mean, 2,100 pages, correct me if I'm wrong, and you may not know the answer to this either, but isn't that right around the size of what the Obamacare legislation was, for crying out loud? How on earth and what on earth are they putting in 2,100 pages to create this well, cabinet-level board position? The number of pages is 2,144. Um, Obamacare was 3,409. And I know because I read both. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I have read the 2,100 pages. Oh, my the God. proponents were looking for solutions for career tech. There are no policy changes in the 178 for career, pet, career tech. All the, the policy changes they're hoping to get under the new director, you know, to get a, a, a higher heightened focus on career mm-hmm. tech. The General Assembly can do that on their own. Again, this is, and, and the other point that needs to be made for the public is in 1952, we had that structure. We had a cabinet-level director of education. The citizens of Ohio in 1953 changed the state constitution to create the State Board of Education. So what they're doing now is they're moving all of the General Assembly assigned responsibilities related to children away from that board that's in the constitution and leaving teacher licensure and territory transfers and teacher revocations when there's criminal activity for teachers. Right. So the teacher-related and the territory-related provisions are still with the board in the same board structure. All of the kid policies are getting moved over. And I highly doubt anyone voting in 1953 were thinking that they were creating a board for teacher <laughs> licensing and territory transfers. They probably were thinking that it was going to be something that would be involved with kid policies. It was impactful um, of what goes on in the classrooms and in the schools. Exactly right. right. That's what I have an appointment well. this coming week at the Batcave, which is the archive, the historical archive, I call it, for, um, for anything in state policy. So I have an appointed time. It was as soon as I could get was December 15th to see what was discussed in 1953, what was going on that was so bad that they wanted to change and create this new state school board. But it'll be after the vote. I mean, right. we'll, we'll get Too that late. information right. a dollar late in a day late. Well, 
You know what? So, Better you than me looking that up uh, and going through that. God bless you for the work that you are about to do. <laughs> uh, and and Melanie, I will say that I appreciate I appreciate the work that Senator Brenner does. He works very hard on behalf of kids and communities, and he he is sincere. I, there's no doubt in my mind. Well, I think he is but also sincere. Not- I think he is also sincere in his conflict. I mean, as I, he said at the end of the conversation, mm-hmm. he said, "You know, we've got two real bad situations here, and we got to pick the one that is that is less bad." Right. And uh, and this is what he believes is 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 the way to go here. And I I respect right. the sincerity of that. But it re- there's nothing here that's perfect given the given the circumstances. So, Melanie, I've got to. But the house here. has I- a chance to give themselves oversight. So let's hope they do that. Yeah, there you go, and that's what this vote will be tomorrow. Uh, so, Melanie Elsie, mm-hmm. National Legislative Director, Ohio Roundtable, uh, American Policy Roundtable. Melanie, thank you so much. Uh, keep us posted, okay? Thank you. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frant on AM 1420, The Answer. Our number three underway now at eight minutes past the 11 o'clock. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. It's the 12th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Boys from the beginning. Oh, uh, we missed the beginning. Boys are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Only girls can be the mummies. Only boys can grow up and be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is Thank you, Mr. Rogers, for bringing science back uh, to, uh, to a time in which science is in serious jeopardy. I'm going to continue to play that. It's my new favorite song. I'm gonna make it my theme for this show. I swear to God, I'm putting it in my car. I'm gonna put it on my on my smartphone. It's gonna be on my playlist. And anytime I hear nonsense, I'm gonna play that. Oh, you know what I'll do is I'll play that immediately after it's um it's uh uh blah, 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 or before rather I guess it would be it's um sequel. The, the, the prequel was Fred Rogers in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The sequel is Pastor Mark Robinson. Ain't but two genders, two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. I wonder if we could do a remix like that. If we could have somehow say have uh, you know Mr. Rogers' uh, song and and then somehow kind of have that mixed in as uh, as boys part of from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Ain't but two genders. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. 
Only girls can be the mummies. Hey, but two genders. Only boys two genders. Can be the Ain't but men and women. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. If I put some time into this, I swear to you I could make that work. I swear I could make something very, very fun there and very, very accurate. Um, like I'm probably not going to do that <laughs> because I wanted to have some semblance of a life. But if I felt the, the urge and I wanted to sit down at the audio editor, I could probably make that work. I could find a way to, to, to blend these two things. Who am I kidding? I'll do it. I'll probably do it by the end of the year. All right. Uh, phone lines are open at 216-901-0945, uh, We're talking about and reacting to... Senate Bill 178, which um, I think I mistakenly reported earlier, is being voted on by the Senate today. It's being voted on by the House today. It's already been passed by the Senate. It basically rips the guts out of the power of the Ohio Board of Education when it comes to policy and when it comes to curriculum. And that's a good thing to some conservatives. That's a bad thing to other conservatives. It just depends. You know, I think the real problem is when I talked to uh, Senator Brenner about this, Andy Brenner, last hour, if you missed that interview, you're going to want to hear it on the uh, podcast replay at whkradio.com. He mentioned something about Governor DeSantis, and it just kind of dawned on me. If we had a Governor DeSantis, we wouldn't be in this conundrum. If I had a Governor DeSantis, I would trust him to appoint the right type of board members, and we wouldn't need this DEW. If I had a Governor DeSantis, I would trust him to have a DEW and appoint the right people to run it at the cabinet level and know that our schools would be fine. But we don't. We don't have a DeSantis. We have a DeWine. Instead of having the gold standard, we have the, uh, the, the little, the little um, Napoleon who destroyed the state for uh, two and a half years during COVID. We have the little Republican who governs like a Democrat, the little Marxist who tries to pretend to be a conservative. So the fact is, our problem is our governor. If we had the right kind of governor, I don't think we'd be in quite the uh, difficult situation we're in right now. I want to go back to the phones get more, more reaction here. I know a lot of prominent conservatives have a lot of thoughts on this, including this one. John Stover, who is one of the founders and leaders of Ohio Value Voters, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. John, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Uh, pleasure being with you. You know, I uh, have to admit, I have a uh, greater appreciation now for Mr. Rogers that I never had before. Thank you for <laughs> I know. playing that. I didn't really have it either, but I love the fact that somebody realized that 50 years ago-ish, uh, Fred Rogers had the answers, man, and uh, and I love that fact. Yes, so, yes. Well, Bob, so well, Bob, does you know, Senator Brenner have the answers now? Does he have the answer here? Is this, uh, is this 178 the right answer, John Stover, to our education problems in our state? Well, Bob, uh, you know, as uh, you and I were just um, communicating privately, you know, it, it uh, makes no difference if you have a, uh, a full glass of strychnine or a uh, half glass. You know, whenever you consume it, the patient dies, right? And uh, education is much, much too important to be uh, slam-ducking a bill that's been sitting in committee for a year and a half. You know, and you're right regarding DeSantis. If the wine was DeSantis-like, this would be a little bit easier, much, much easier to possibly give him control of education. But as your last guest has stated, and this is one of the things that I've spoken to, and you met, uh, she mentioned Adam Bird. I've had uh, conversations with Adam Bird uh, here recently within the last couple of days. We texted. You know, this is uh, going to be a, uh, a closed vote, I believe, in the House Primary Secondary Education Committee relative to uh, 178. I plan on testifying tomorrow. 
You know, Bob, uh, you know, I have other concerns regarding the governor. And, um, you know, let me share this, if I may, with your listeners. Um, It was a little over three years ago that I had an opportunity to speak to the governor privately. And uh, I said, Governor, I said, we got a real problem in education. And it was this is a quote. He says, John, I know I get all your emails. You know, your your listeners may not know, but Ohio Value Voters Protect Ohio Children. We communicate, you know, with tens of thousands of people throughout the state. And whenever we really want to get something out, it's over hundreds of thousands. So, you know, he, he knows about the problem. And I said, Governor, all I need is 30 minutes of your time. If I can get 30 minutes of your time, let's sit down and discuss some of these issues that we're having. And I uh, called his aide over as they marked some things down. They said, our scheduler, get back to you. Well, I did ask someone to get back to me as one of his aides and said the governor was not going to meet with him, uh, which was, you know, certainly uh, not something I wanted to hear. Regarding, regarding the state board, Bob, I presented a uh, resume of an individual with 35 years of experience. This guy was a teacher, a principal, a superintendent. He would have been an excellent choice for the state board. Matter of fact, when Jim Renese was running for governor, Jim and I sat down and I said, Jim, I said, let me give you the resume of somebody I think you need to talk to. He spoke to him and he was so impressed. He said, look, he says, I'm going to find a spot for him in my administration if I'm elected, elected as the governor. He said, there's no doubt about it. I, I need to get this guy uh, involved in education. At the very minimum, you know, I'm going to appoint him to the uh, state board if I am governor. Um, you know, I also forward the uh, information to um, Senator Huffman, the same resume. And, you know, it's very easily if there's some leadership shown in the General Assembly, specifically in the Senate, because that's where confirmations take place, and with the Senate president. And I suggested to Senator Huffman, I said, Senator, you have a good person here. Let the governor know that uh, I can get this one through the committee. And I can assure you of that. I can't guarantee anything on anyone else. Well, that he's, uh, the governor has had that resume for um, uh, three years and has not been appointed. Something else concerns me, Bob, greatly. Greatly. The last two years, we have so many good pieces of legislation that's just been sitting and languishing in committee. Save Women's Sports Act. That one there, the governor came out uh, June of last year and basically said he was opposed to it. Matter of fact, it passed in the House, went to the Senate. The Senate, the governor communicated with the Senate and said, look, I'm not in support of it. They did not take any action on it. And so it's still in committee. Another one is House House Bill 454. This legislation, Bob, will prohibit the mutilation surgery of children in the state of Ohio, 18 years of age and younger, because of this gender dysphoria. Because, you know, an 11 or 12-year-old, they are convinced that, uh, you know, girls convinced that they're a boy or boys convinced that they're a girl. Another one that I worked on with uh, your friend of mine, Peter Kersenow. You know, we had a, a CRT bill. The bill was titled uh, Prohibiting Divisive Teaching in the Classroom, mm-hmm. uh, House Bill 327. And uh, another good bill. Do you know that the governor, if he had acted uh, distentist like if he had acted as the governor of Florida, he would have stated to the General Assembly, look, Get these bills on my desk. I want the bills on my desk. That didn't happen. No. You know, he refused to say anything. And, and he said nothing at all. And this, is, and this is where I have the problem. And this is what I've stated to Senator Brenner. I've had private conversations also with Senator Brenner on this. I said, I said, Senator, I said, we need to put, as your last guest stated, couldn't agree with her more, 
make sure we have those checks and balances in place. We need to have the checks and balances in place. We need to make sure that we give the governor specific swim lanes that he is going to have to govern in. And if the legislation is in place, some of these bills I just mentioned, and some of the other things that the General Assembly is able to do, I could see this potentially working. The thing that I like, Bob, is the old uh, uh, the, the uh, statement of uh, Harry Truman. Remember that? The buck stops here. It stops right. at his desk. Well, you know what? In this case, it would stop at uh, Governor DeWine's desk. Right. Well, John, uh, you know, this is a very difficult thing, obviously. Um, let me just ask you before you go, um, you mentioned talking to Adam Byrd, and uh, um, I was just talking about that with Melanie, too. He sponsored the bill to eliminate the appointment portion of the board. Yes. Um, you, you stand in support of such a bill, right? I would, I would uh, you know, this, uh, this was one of the frustrations that uh, Representative Byrd had, that uh, no hearing uh, really of any meaningful purpose uh, mm-hmm. from the committee had taken place. But, you know, if, in fact, that uh, we would eliminate the eight appointments and uh, have nothing but elected positions and then also make them partisan, you know, where you have to run either as a Democrat or Republican, this may be, uh, you know, uh, an option. But um, no, the reason I I asked if you had a position on it, yeah, the reason I asked you if you had an opinion on it is because we're in the same kind of situation here. Again, if we have just elected positions on the Ohio Board of Education, and the majority of them, and sometimes it's a pretty strong majority of them, happen to be left wing because of the influence of teachers' unions in each of these districts. Uh, trying to promote and push these people that they say will be good for the kids and good for inclusion and equity and all the other nonsense. Uh, appointments might be the only thing that can save us. In other words, if we have a DeSantis type of leader, um, we can kind of counterbalance some of those left-wing election results and and appoint some people to um, you know to to provide a different perspective for the parents. So there's 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 no there's no way of telling if we eliminated through a bill like that the appointments that things wouldn't get worse. They, they, they very well could. You know, I would say this about the eight governor uh, appointees. They serve, and people should know that, that are listening on your program, Bob, that they serve at the pleasure of the governor. Right. And, uh, you know, I had urged uh, during this Title IX discussion, you know, Ohio yeah. Value Voters urged Governor DeWine to publicly, um, you know, admonish his eight appointees to do the right thing. To follow and along here, the right? Brendan Shea. Yeah, support the Brendan Shea resolution. And, you know, he stepped silent on this as not well. A word. So, yeah. Not a well, word. Not, 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 only did he word. Not, not only did he not do that, because I made the same call here on the radio, and I know he doesn't listen to me. Uh, he certainly won't talk to me after the last time I interviewed him at the start of COVID. Um, but um, but I've made the same call, and many other people made that call for him to say something to influence that board. Not only did he not do that, John, uh, I was just covering this with uh, Senator Brenner, <clears throat> the um, list of appointees that have asked for reappointments to the board included Mike Toll, who offered the Toll Amendment uh-huh. to the Shea Resolution, uh-huh. and Mike Toll was uh-huh. the only one who didn't get a reappointment. Mike DeWine took the one conservative voice, or one of the strongest conservative voices there, that supported the Shea Amendment, or the Shea Resolution with, a, with his own amendment, and, and he didn't get it. But the, the ones who voted against it, the, the, the Shea Resolution, you know, the uh, uh, La, uh, La Mancha and LaRue and uh, Bedell and others, they, they got reappointments. So what I don't know I don't know where Mike DeWine's head is when he's literally ignoring the the voice of the constituency that gave him his job twice now. I mean it's just in, it's, it's insane to 
I can't understand. I can't wrap my brain around how he could be silent about that Title IX thing with those who are on the board now, and he's actually re- rewarding those who voted against the Shea resolution with reappointments. And then, and then we want to look at the passage of 178, which will give the governor virtually complete control with uh, an appointment that yeah. uh, could, 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 could be as woke, etc., you know, a lot of times, Bob, I, I, I make this statement. I say, you know, sometimes you have to look in the rearview rear mirror to determine where you've been. And we know where we've been with Governor DeWine regarding some of these matters. Okay, so now uh, when we move forward, if we don't have those provisions in 178 that are going to be the checks and balances, and I'm, I'm saying that we just need to put a bridle in, whether it's this governor or a Democrat governor, because you raised an excellent point earlier in your show, I mean, who knows where education could be if we end up with a, as you said, a Ryan or any other Democrat that may end up serving in the future. But we need to put a bridle on the administration, and the General Assembly can do it if they actually show some leadership in the House and Senate. This is why Senator Brenner said they will. Yes, yes. Well, this is why I'm going to be testifying tomorrow. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be there. Hopefully, I'll have the opportunity to speak. But I'm going to already urge the. uh, members of the uh, Primary Secondary Education Committee of the House to uh, not vote yes, vote no on this bill, push it into next year, let it be reintroduced so that we have an opportunity to discuss it. You can't slam dunk something as important as right. education with a, um, you know, just a very quick vote. We, we no. can't do that. No, I understand that, and I do. I think it needs to be more thought out, especially if you've got 2,100 pages that nobody's going to read before they cast a quick vote. That's a problem. So, uh, yes. John John Stover, Ohio Value Voters. John, I'm glad you called in. I appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with the uh, testimony tomorrow, and, uh, and obviously we'll follow this where it goes, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Thank you very much, Bob, and have a good day. Thank you, Thank you John. You too. Uh, 1124, more calls right after this. Okay, 1127 now. Let's uh, bring up Sally, calling us from Berea. Sally, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Hi, Sally. Mr. Rogers was ahead of his time, just like Paul Harvey. But the reason I called is because I'm so frustrated with the State Board of Education and their um, reluctance to take a stand and overturn some of these crazy policies that are harming our kids, especially the sexualization. Um, I hope that this, as John Stover mentioned, this bill gets um, delayed and studied more because we're between a rock and a hard place, but appointees make me very nervous, um, no matter who is doing the appointing, since there aren't very many Governor DeSantis around, and we certainly don't have one. And so... um, we need a change. We need to take action, and some movement needs to occur on the on the state board. So we have to strategize as how best to um, get something done immediately to save our kids. Yeah, um, we do. Uh, I concur, and I agree. I mean, it's tough no matter who's doing the appointing. I would feel better. Like I said, if we had somebody like Ron DeSantis making the call because Ron, or excuse me, because Mike DeWine has been so AWOL when it comes to making the right decisions and the right appointments and, and completely refuses to explain himself. He refused to say anything about the Title IX changes, to do anything, to, excuse me, to provide guidance to his eight appointees on that board. Um, and it's extremely frustrating. But I don't know that I trust the electorate either. 
if we turn it all over to the electorate, look at the, the you know the the number of um, cases of fraud that we have had happen, and we look at it at the presidential level, we look at it in Arizona at the governor's level, we look at it at senators level. Maybe you don't think of it when it comes to school board members, but guess what? It can happen there too. And even if it isn't fraud, even if the results are on the up and up, and thank you for the call, Sally. Even if it is on the up and up, um, the fact is, teachers unions have a lot of sway in communities, in districts, and they can get these left-wing, woke uh, board members elected um, a lot easier than you think. And then what is our recourse? Our recourse is, do we have a decent governor who can appoint some uh, you know, members on that board who will counteract what those left-wing, woke elected officials are doing? So there's no easy answer. I think John Stover said it right. Whether you drink strychnine, half glass, or full glass, either way you're going to die. We're in a very bad position. There's no question about it. I'll be right back. Miss something you want to hear? Check out the Always Right Radio podcast anytime at whkradio.com. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. 11.37 now on Always Right Radio. We've got time for a few more phone calls after we enjoy the dulcet uh, tones of once again of Mr. Rogers in his neighborhood bringing science back. Everybody's fancy. You, me, some are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mummies. Only boys can grow up and be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. I think you're a special person. And I think I Mr. Rogers was far more special than any of us realized, to be honest with you. When he came in and put on his little slippers and put on his uh, his sweater, uh, I don't know about you as a kid. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. I wish I had, but I'm glad now that I can share these messages. He knew what was coming somehow, presciently, from 50 years ago. And now we need to be listening more than ever. Uh, we're going to go back to the phones, 216-901-0945. Ken is calling us from Medina. Ken, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. I agree with you. Mr. Rogers, you're going to have a lot of Democrats jumping off the bridges i'm telling you you're going to cause a fear <laughs> go go and do it i i'm happy with that one you should do it and number two uh i i heard this a while back for house of speak uh speaker of the house you there yeah i'm here go ahead okay i heard this for the speaker of the house you do not have to be a current member of the house uh, to be the Speaker of the House. Correct. And if that's true, okay, if that's true, why don't we, when, why not take Newt Gingrich? 
you know, that's uh, I don't know that he would do it, to be honest with you, uh, at this stage of his well, life and career. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, he's enjoying retirement and just working as a spokesman for the, um, you mm-hmm. know, for not a spokesman, not the right word. Uh, what's the word? Uh, contributor to Fox News, and he just does the yeah. occasional interview and so on and so forth. And being mm-hmm. a speaker is a full time job, particularly in this in this climate. I love Newt Gingrich. I think Newt Gingrich is one of the smartest people in America, if not the world. I do too. And I love him, and I and I think it would be phenomenal. I don't think he would do it, and I also don't know if he would mix that well with the modern split in the Republican Party between the you know the true uh, Trump conservatives, the Trump uh, MAGA uh, side of the uh, uh, of the House, and uh, you know, and then the Rhino side of it. I I, I don't know oh, how no. he would navigate those waters these days. I think he's good in a commentary role, but in a policy role, I don't know if it would be something that he would uh, embrace and and necessarily succeed with. I think he was behind uh, Trump all the way too. So I, I think they listened to a lot of things that he was uh, bringing up and everything, though, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, like I said, stranger things have happened. I mean, there are people floating ideas out there. Speaking of non-members of Congress <clears throat> to be the speaker, there are people who are saying Mike Lindell, you know, the pillow guy, would be would be a good person to do that. You know, because he's yeah. out there doing strong, you know, work exposing mm-hmm. some of the elections you know, corruption and the fraud and so mm-hmm. forth. And But I, I do, I, I think they're going to need somebody with a little bit of experience leading. Certainly Newt Gingrich would have that, uh, would fit that bill as the former speaker himself. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like they're going to be stuck with uh, with Kevin McCarthy, even though some other people like Andy Biggs have thrown their hat in the ring and said, we're going we're gonna to have a real vote here. And I'll tell you something else you should think about, my friend. Uh, it's not likely, but it is possible if the Republicans mess around and split between two candidates for this uh, and a Democrat, because remember, we have a very, very thin majority here going forward into this next Congress. If the Democrats are all solidly behind some Democrat, one Democrat might be able to win a, uh, uh, the majority of the votes over either of the two Republicans. And suddenly the Republicans will screw around and have a majority but with the Democrat speaker. So they've got to get behind somebody. Right? Yeah, they've got to get behind somebody and make sure that they uh, that they unify and uh, you know kind of kind of circle the wagons, if you will. Otherwise, the Democrats could slip in and do something really tricky. Well, you get Mister <laughs> Rogers nationwide now, uh, <laughs> and you're gonna you're gonna drive them nuts. Believe well, me, you know what? This well, is what we need. Th- thank you, I appreciate I appreciate the phone call, Ken. Uh, thanks very much. Um, I can tell you this. One thing that my goal is is I'm go- my goal is to earworm everybody in Northeast Ohio with this. By by the end of your workday today, you're going to be driving home at 4:30, and inside your head, you're going to hear that little piano, what and you're going to hear that little that you make. You know, everybody's fancy. You, me, some are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. You're going to have an earworm. Everybody's fancy. You're going to be singing everybody's in your head, fine. everybody's fancy and everybody's fine all day long. Mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is This next mine. verse is the best. Only girls can be the mummies. Uh-huh. Only boys can grow up and be the daddy. That's right. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. 
and so is mine. I don't know who dug this up uh, from the archives, but I, I saw it online on like Friday or Saturday or something, and I was just, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Everybody's fancy. I'm going to play this on the radio as much as I can. Your body's fancy, and so is and I'm going to tell all of the alphabet soup and the rainbow flag wavers and everybody else, bring a little science into your life. The science that has been offered here by one of the great children's entertainers and educators of all time. Mr. Rogers has the science that you don't. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.